0: as cell division, figure five figure five steps in cell division after Wilson, note that the process begins with the division of the attraction sphere, then involves the nucleus, and finally separates the main body, cell division, by dividing, a single cell will, on attaining its growth, separate into two or more new cells, the process is quite complex and is imperfectly understood, it is known, however, that the act of separation is preceded by a series of changes in which the attraction sphere and the nucleus actively participate, and that, as a result of these changes, the contents of the old cell are rearranged to form the new cells. Some of the different stages in the process, as they have been studied under the microscope, are indicated in figure 5, gradually, through the formation of new cells and by the growth of these cells after they have been formed, the body attains its full size, when growth is complete. Cell reproduction is supposed to cease except where the tissues are injured as in the breaking of a bone or where cells like those at the surface of the skin are subject to a wear then new material continues to be added to the protoplasm throughout life but in amount only sufficient to replace that lost from the protoplasm as waste figure 6 figure 6 a tumbler partly filled with marbles covered with water suggesting the relations of the cells to the lymph cell surroundings all cells are said to be aquatic This means simply that they require water for carrying on their various activities. The cells, in order to live, must take in and give out materials, and water is necessary to both processes. It is also an essential part of the protoplasm. Deprived of water, cells become inactive and usually die. Aquatic surroundings are provided for the cells of the body through a liquid known as the lymph, which is distributed throughout the intercellular material figure 6. This consists of water containing oxygen and food substances in solution. Besides supplying these to the cells, the lymph also receives their wastes. Through the lymph the necessary conditions for cell life are provided in the body. The general work of cells, in handling the materials derived from the lymph, the cells carry on three well-defined processes, known as absorption, assimilation, and excretion. Absorption is the process of taking water, food, and oxygen into the cells. Assimilation is a complex process which results in the addition of the absorbed materials to the protoplasm. Through assimilation, the protoplasm is built up or renewed. Excretion is the throwing off of such waste materials as have been formed in the cells. These are passed into the lymph and thence to the surface of the body. Absorption, assimilation, excretion, and also reproduction are performed by all classes of cells. They are, on this account, referred to as the general work of cells, the special work of cells, In addition to the general work which all cells do in common, each class of cells in the body is able to do some particular kind of work a work which the others cannot do or which they can do only to a limited extent. This is spoken of as the special work of cells. Examples of the special work of cells are found in the production of motion by muscle cells and in the secretion of liquids by gland cells. It may be noted that while the general work of cells benefits them individually, their special work benefits the body as a whole. Another example of the special work of cells is found in the figure 7 figure 7 cartilage cells, surrounded by the intercellular material which they have deposited, production of the intercellular material, though most of the cells of the body deposit to a slight extent this material, the greater part of it is produced by a single class of cells found in bone, cartilage, and connective tissue, cartilage, bone, and connective tissue differ greatly from the other tissues in the amount of intercellular material which they contain. The difference being due to these cells, in the connective tissue they deposit the fibrous material so important in holding the different parts of the body together. In the cartilage they produce the gristly substance which forms by far its larger portion figure 7. In the bones they deposit a material similar to that in the cartilage, except that with it is mixed a mineral substance which gives the bones their hardness and stiffness. For the intercellular material, in addition to connecting the cells, supplies to certain tissues important properties such as the elasticity of cartilage and the stiffness of the bones. Nature of the body organization. The division of labor carried on by the different organs, as shown in the preceding chapter, is in reality carried on by the cells that form the organs. To see that this is true we have only to observe the relation of cells to tissues and of tissues to organs. The cells form the tissues and the tissues form the organs. This arrangement enables the special work of different kinds of cells to be combined in the work of the organ as a whole. This is seen in the hand which, in grasping, uses motion supplied by the muscle cells, a controlling influence supplied by the nerve cells, a framework supplied by the bone cells, and so on. The cells supply the basis for the body organization and, properly speaking, the body is an organization of cells. 5 Recall the definition of an organization. Page 10. In this organization there are to be observed, 1, a definite arrangement of the cells to form the tissues. A tissue is a group of like cells. 2. A definite arrangement of the tissues in the organ. Each organ contains the tissues needed for its work. 3. In several instances there is a definite arrangement of organs to form systems. 4. The body as a whole is made up of organs and systems, together with the structures necessary for their support and protection. There now remains a further question for consideration. What is the one supreme end, or purpose? toward which all the activities of the body organization are directed, this purpose will naturally have some relation to the maintenance, or preservation, of the cell group which we call the body, the maintenance of life, the preservation of any cell group in its natural condition, whether it be plant or animal, is accomplished through keeping it alive, if life ceases, the group quickly disintegrates and its elements become scattered, a fact which is verified through everyday observation, though the nature of life is unknown, It may be looked upon as the organizer and preserver of the protoplasm, but in preserving the protoplasm it also preserves the entire cell group, or body. Life is thus the most essential condition of the body. With life all portions of the body are concerned, and toward its maintenance all the activities of the body organization are directed. The nutrient fluid in its relations to the cells, the maintenance of life within the cells requires, as we have seen, that they be supplied with water, food. And oxygen, and that they be relieved of such wastes as they form. This double purpose is accomplished through the agency of an internal nutrient fluid, a portion of which has already been referred to as the lymph. Not only does this fluid supply the means for keeping the cells alive, but, through the cells, it is also the means of preserving the life of the body as a whole. The cells, however, rapidly exhaust the nutrient fluid, they take from it food and oxygen and they put into it their wastes. To prevent its becoming and fit for supplying their needs, food and oxygen must be continually added to this fluid, and waste materials must be continually removed. This is not an easy task. As a matter of fact, the preparation, distribution, and purification of the nutrient fluid requires the direct or indirect aid of practically all parts of the body. It supplies for this reason a broad basis for the division of labor on the part of the cells, relation of the body to its environment. While life is directly dependent upon the internal nutrient fluid, it is indirectly dependent upon the physical surroundings of the body. Herein lies the need of the external organs the feet and legs for moving about, the hands for handling things, the eyes for directing movements, etc. That the great needs of the body are supplied from its surroundings are facts of common experience. Food. Shelter. Air. Clothing. Water and the means of protection are external to the body and form a part of its environment. In making the things about him contribute to his needs, man encounters a problem which taxes all his powers, only by toil and hardship. By the sweat of his brow, has he been able to arrest from his surroundings the means of his sustenance, the main physiological problems. The study of the body is thus seen to resolve itself naturally into the consideration of two main problems, 1 that of maintaining in the body a nutrient fluid for the cells, to that of bringing the body into such relations with its surroundings as will enable it to secure materials for the nutrient fluid and satisfy its other needs. The first problem is internal and includes the so-called vital processes, known as digestion, circulation, respiration, and excretion. The second problem is external, as it were and includes the work of the external organs the organs of motion and of locomotion and the organs of special sense. These problems are closely related, since they are the two divisions of the one problem of maintaining life. Neither can be considered independently of the other. In the chapter following is taken up the first of these problems. Summary, the individual parts, or units, that form the body organization are known as cells. These consist of minute but definitely arranged portions of protoplasm and are held together by the intercellular material. They build up the body and carry on its different activities. The tissues are groups of like cells. By certain general activities the cells maintain their existence in the tissues and by the exercise of certain special activities they adapt the tissues to their purposes in the body. The body, as a cell organization, has its activities directed under normal conditions toward a single purpose that of maintaining life. In the accomplishment of this purpose a nutrient fluid is provided for the cells and proper relations between the body and its surroundings are established. Exercises. 1. If the tissue be compared to a brick wall, to what do the separate bricks correspond? To what the mortar between the bricks? 2. Draw an outline of a typical cell, locating and naming the main divisions. 3. How do the cells enable the body to grow? Describe the process of cell division. Four. How does the general work of cells differ from their special work? Define absorption, excretion, and assimilation as applied to the cells. 5. Compare the conditions surrounding a one-celled animal, living in water, to the conditions surrounding the cells in the body. 6. What is meant by the term, environment? How does man's environment differ from that of a fish? 7. What is the necessity for a nutrient fluid in the body? 8. Why is the maintenance of life necessarily the chief aim of all the activities of the body? 9. State the two main problems in the study of the body. Practical Work Observations 1. Make some scrapings from the inside of the cheek with a dull knife and mix these with a little water on a glass slide. Place a cover glass on the same and examine with a compound microscope. The large pale cells that can be seen in this way are a variety of epithelial cells. Two. Mount in water on a glass slide some thin slices of cartilage and examine first with a low and then with a high power of microscope. Suitable slices may be cut with a sharp razor from the cartilage found at the end of the rib of a young animal. Note the small groups of cells surrounded by and embedded in the intercellular material. 3. Mount and examine with the microscope thin slices of elder pith, potato, and the stems of growing plants. Make drawings of the cells thus observed. Four. Examine with the microscope a small piece of the freshly sloughed off epidermis of a frog's skin. Examine it first in its natural condition, and then after soaking for an hour or two in a solution of carmine. Make drawings. 5. Mount on a glass slide some of the scum found on stagnant water and examine it with a compound microscope. Note the variety and relative size of the different things moving about. The forms most frequently seen by such an examination are one-celled plants. Many of these have the power of motion. 6. Examine tissues of the body, such as nervous, muscular, and glandular tissues, which have been suitably prepared and mounted for microscopic study, using low and high powers of the microscope. Make drawings of the cells in the different tissues thus observed. Chapter Ib The blood to liquids of similar nature are found in the body, known as the blood and the lymph. These are closely related in function and together they form the nutrient fluid referred to in the preceding chapter. The blood is the more familiar of the two liquids, and the one which can best be considered at this time, the blood, where found, the blood occupies and moves through a system of closed tubes, known as the blood vessels. By means of these vessels the blood is made to circulate through all parts of the body, but from them it does not escape under normal conditions, though provisions exist whereby liquid materials may both enter and leave the blood stream, it is only when the blood vessels are cut or broken that the blood, as blood, is able to escape from its enclosures. Physical properties of the blood Experiments such as those described at the close of this chapter reveal the more important physical properties of the blood. It may be shown to be heavier and denser than water, to have a faint odor and a slightly salty taste, to have a bright red color when it contains oxygen and a dark red color when oxygen is absent, and to undergo when exposed to certain conditions. A change called coagulation These properties are all accounted for through the different materials that enter into the formation of the blood. Figure 8 Figure 8 Blood Corpuscles Highly magnified. A. Red corpuscles as they appear in diluted blood. B. Arrangement of red corpuscles in rows between which are white corpuscles. As may be seen in a diluted blood. C. Red corpuscles much enlarged to show the form. Composition of the blood. To the naked eye the blood appears as a thick but simple liquid, but when examined with a compound microscope. It is seen to be complex in nature, consisting of at least two distinct portions. One of these is a clear, transparent liquid, while the other is made up of many small, round bodies that float in the liquid. The liquid portion of the blood is called the plasma. The small bodies are known as corpuscles. Two varieties of corpuscles are described the red corpuscles and the white corpuscles figure eight. Other round particles, smaller than the corpuscles, may also be seen under favourable conditions. These latter are known as blood platelets, red corpuscles. The red corpuscles are classed as cells, although, as found in the blood of man and the other mammals figure 9, they have no nuclei. 6 each one consists of a little mass of protoplasm, called the stroma, which contains a substance having a red color, known as hemoglobin. The shape of the red corpuscle is that of a circular disc with concave sides. It has a width of about 13200 of an inch 7.9 microns 7 and a thickness of about 113000 of an inch 1.9 microns. The red corpuscles are exceedingly numerous, there being as many as 5 millions in a small drop 1 cubic millimeter of healthy blood. But the number varies somewhat and is greatly diminished during certain forms of disease. Figure 9 figure 9 red corpuscles from various animals. Those from mammals are without nuclei while those from birds and cold blooded animals have nuclei. It is the function of the red corpuscles to serve as oxygen carriers for the cells. They take up oxygen at the lungs and release it at the cells in the different tissues. 8. The performance of this function depends upon the hemoglobin. Hemoglobin. The substance has the remarkable property of forming, under certain conditions, a weak chemical union with oxygen and, when the conditions are reversed, of separating from it, It forms about nine-tenths of the solid matter of the red corpuscles and to it is due the colors of the blood. When united with the oxygen it forms a compound, called oxyhemoglobin, which has a bright red color, the hemoglobin alone has a dark red color. These colors are the same as those of the blood as it takes on and gives off oxygen. The stroma, which forms only about one-tenth of the solid matter of the corpuscles, serves as a contrivance for holding the hemoglobin. The conditions which cause the hemoglobin to unite with oxygen in the lungs and to separate from it in the tissues, will be considered later Chapter VII. Disappearance and origin of red corpuscles. The red corpuscles, being cells without nuclei, are necessarily short-lived. It has been estimated that during a period of one to two months, all the red corpuscles in the body at a given time will have disappeared and their places taken by new ones, the origin of new corpuscles. however and the manner of ridding the blood of old ones are problems that are not as yet fully solved. The removal of the products of broken-down corpuscles is supposed to take place both in the liver and in the spleen. 9. Regarding the origin of the red corpuscles, the evidence now seems conclusive that large numbers of them are formed in the red marrow of the bones. The red marrow is located in what is known as the spongy substance of the bones chapter XI. and consists, to a large extent, of cells somewhat like the red corpuscles but differing from them in having nuclei, these appear to be constantly in a state of reproduction, the blood, flowing through the minute cavities containing these cells, carries those that have been loosened out into the bloodstream, nuclei appear in the red corpuscles at the time of their formation, but these quickly separate and, according to some authorities, form the blood platelets, white corpuscles, the white corpuscles, or leukocytes, are cells of a general spherical shape, each containing one, 2, or more nuclei, they are much less numerous than the red, there being on the average only one white corpuscle to about every 500 of the red ones. On the other hand, the white corpuscles are larger than the red, one of the former being equal in volume to about three of the latter, figure 10 figure 10 escape of white corpuscles from a small blood vessel hall, that the conditions are normal, but that some excitation in the surrounding tissue leads to a migration of corpuscles. 1, 2 and three show different stages of the passage. The white corpuscles are found, when studied under favorable conditions, to possess the power of changing their shape and, by this means, of moving from place to place. This property enables them to penetrate the walls of capillaries and to pass with the lymph in between the cells of the tissues. The white corpuscles are, therefore, not confined to the blood vessels, as are the red corpuscles, but migrate through the intercellular spaces. Figure 10. If any part of the body becomes inflamed, the white corpuscles collect there in large numbers, and, on breaking down, they form most of the white portion of the sore, called the pus. New white corpuscles are formed from old ones, by cell division. Their production may occur in almost any part of the body, but usually takes place in the lymphatic glands chapter VI and in the spleen, where conditions for their development are especially favorable. In these places they are found in great abundance and in various stages of development. Functions of white corpuscles The main use of the white corpuscles appears to be that of a destroyer of disease germs. These consist of minute organisms that find their way into the body and, by living upon the tissues and fluids and by depositing toxins poisons in them, cause different forms of disease. Besides destroying germs that may be present in the blood, the white corpuscles also leave the blood and attack germs that had invaded the cells. By forming a kind of wall around any foreign substance, such as a splinter, that has penetrated the skin, they are able to prevent the spread of germs through the body. In a similar manner they also prevent the germs from boils, abscesses, and sore places in general from getting to and infecting other parts of the body. 10 Another function ascribed to the white corpuscles is that of aiding in the coagulation of the blood page 31, and still another, of aiding in the healing of wounds, plasma, The plasma is a complex liquid, being made up of water and of substances dissolved in the water. The dissolved substances consist mainly of foods for the cells and wastes from the cells. 1. The foods represent the same classes of materials as are taken in the daily fare, i.e. proteids, carbohydrates, fats, and salts Chapter IX. Three kinds of proteids are found in the plasma, called serum albumin, serum globulin, and fibrinogen. These resemble in a general way, the white of raw egg, but differ from each other in the readiness with which they coagulate. Fibrinogen coagulates more readily than the others and is the only one that changes in the ordinary coagulation of the blood. The others remain dissolved during this process, but are coagulated by chemical agents and by heat. While all of the proteids probably serve as food for the cells, the fibrinogen, in addition, is a necessary factor in the coagulation of the blood page 31. The only representative of the carbohydrates in the plasma is dextrose. This is a variety of sugar, being derived from starch and the different sugars that are eaten. The fat in the plasma is in minute quantities and appears as fine droplets the form in which it is found in milk. While several mineral salts are present in small quantities in the plasma, sodium chloride, or common salt, is the only one found in any considerable amount. The mineral salts serve various purposes one of which is to cause the proteids to dissolve in the plasma. 2. The wastes are formed at the cells. Once they are passed by the lymph into the blood plasma, they are carried by the blood until removed by the organs of excretion. The two waste products found in greatest abundance in the plasma are carbon dioxide and urea. The substances dissolved in the plasma form about 10% of the whole amount. The remaining 90% is water. Practically all the constituents of the plasma, except the wastes, enter the blood from the digestive organs purposes of water in the blood not only is water the most abundant constituent of the blood it island in some respects the most important it is the liquefying portion of the blood holding in solution the constituents of the plasma and floating the corpuscles deprived of its water the blood becomes a solid substance through the movements of the blood the water also serves the purpose of a transporting agent in the body The cells in all parts of the body require water and this is supplied to them from the blood. Water is present in the corpuscles as well as in the plasma and forms about 80% of the entire volume of the blood. Coagulation of the blood. If the blood is exposed to some unnatural condition, such as occurs when it escapes from the blood vessels, it undergoes a peculiar change known as coagulation. 11 In this change the corpuscles are collected into a solid mass, known as the clot, thereby separating from a liquid called the serum. The serum, which is similar in appearance to the blood plasma, differs from that liquid in one important respect as explained below. Causes of coagulation. Although coagulation affects all parts of the blood, only one of its constituents is found in reality to coagulate. This is the fibrinogen. The formation of the clot and the separation of the serum is due almost entirely to the action of the substance. Fibrinogen is for this reason called the coagulable constituent of the blood. In the plasma the fibrinogen is in a liquid form, but during coagulation it changes into a white, stringy solid, called fibrin. This appears in the clot and is the cause of its formation, forming as a network of exceedingly fine and very delicate threads figure 11 throughout the mass of blood that is coagulating. The fibrin first entangles the corpuscles and then, by contracting, draws them into the solid mass or clot. 12 The contracting of the fibrin also squeezes out the serum. This liquid contains all the constituents of the plasma except the fibrinogen. Figure 11 figure 11 fibrin threads after Ranvier. These by contracting draw the corpuscles together and form the clot. Fibrin ferment and calcium. Most difficult of all to answer have been the questions, what causes the blood to coagulate outside of the blood vessels and what prevents its coagulation inside of these vessels. The best explanation offered as yet upon this point is as follows fibrinogen does not of itself change into fibrin, but is made to undergo this change by the presence of another substance, called fibrin ferment. The substance is not a regular constituent of the blood, but is formed as occasion requires. It is supposed to result from the breaking down of the white corpuscles, and perhaps also from the blood platelets. When the blood is exposed to unnatural conditions, the formation of the ferment leads in turn to the changing of the fibrinogen into fibrin. Another substance which is necessary to the process of coagulation is the element calcium. If compounds of calcium are absent from the blood, coagulation does not take place. These are, however, regular constituents of healthy blood. Whether the presence of the calcium is necessary to the formation of the ferment or to the action of the ferment upon the fibrinogen is unknown. purpose of coagulation. The purpose of coagulation is to check the flow of blood from wounds. The fact that the blood is contained in and kept flowing continuously through a system of connected vessels causes it to escape rapidly from the body whenever openings in these vessels are made. Clots form at such openings and close them up, stopping in this way the flow that would otherwise go on indefinitely. Coagulation, however, does not stop the flow of blood from the large vessels. From these the blood runs with too great force for the clot to form within the wound. Time required for coagulation. The rate at which coagulation takes place varies greatly under different conditions. It is influenced strongly by temperature, heat hastens and cold retards the process. It may be prevented entirely by lowering the temperature of the blood to near the freezing point. The presence of a foreign substance increases the rapidity of coagulation, and it has been observed that bleeding from small wounds is more quickly checked by covering them with linen or cotton fibers. The fibers in this case hasten the process of coagulation. Quantity of blood. The quantity of blood is estimated to be about one thirteenth of the entire weight of the body. This for the average individual is an amount weighing nearly 12 pounds and having a volume of nearly one and one half gallons. About 46% by volume of this amount is made up of corpuscles and 54% of plasma. Of the plasma about 10% consists of solids and 90% of water. As already stated, functions of the blood. The blood is the great carrying, or distributing, Agent in the body, through its movements considered in the next chapter it carries food and oxygen to the cells and waste materials from the cells. Much of the blood may, therefore, be regarded as freight in the process of transportation. The blood also carries, or distributes, heat, taking up heat in the warm parts of the body. It gives it off at places having a lower temperature. This enables all parts of the body to keep at about the same temperature, in addition to serving as a carrier. The blood has antiseptic properties, i.e. it destroys disease germs. While this function is mainly due to the white corpuscles, it is due in part to the plasma. For team through its coagulation, the blood also closes leaks in the small blood vessels. The blood is thus seen to be a liquid of several functions. Figure 12 Figure 12 A balanced change in water. The level remains constant although the water is continually changing, suggestive of the changes in the blood. Changes in the blood. In performing its functions in the body the blood must of necessity undergo rapid and continuous change. The red corpuscles, whose changes have already been noted, appear to be the most enduring constituents of the blood. The plasma is the portion that changes most rapidly. Yet in spite of these changes the quantity and character of the blood remain practically constant. 14 This is because there is a balancing of the forces that bring about the changes. The addition of various materials to the blood just equals the withdrawal of the same materials from the blood. Somewhat as a vessel of water figure 12 having an inflow and an outflow which are equal in amount may keep always at the same level. The balancing of the intake and outgo of the blood keeps its composition about the same from time to time. Hygiene of the blood. The blood, being a changeable liquid, is easily affected through our habits of living, since it may be affected for real as well as for good. One should cultivate those habits that are beneficial and avoid those that are harmful in their effects. Most of the hygiene of the blood, however, is properly included in the hygiene of the organs that act upon the blood effect which makes it unnecessary to treat the subject fully at this time. From a health standpoint, the most important constituents of the blood are, perhaps, the corpuscles. These are usually sufficient in number and vigor in the blood of those who take plenty of physical exercise. Accustom themselves to outdoor air and sunlight, sleep sufficiently, and avoid the use of injurious drugs. On the other hand, they are deficient in quantity and inferior in quality in the bodies of those who pursue an opposite course. Impurities not infrequently find their way into the blood through the digestive.